Hi, this is Amanda Dolan. Welcome to the Mental Society. Today I'm joined by Nora, um, and this is the second episode in a series. Last episode, I talked to uh, Nora's wife, Trina. And so now Nora's going to share a little bit about her story with her um, uh, journey through mental health, um, which I know has been a complicated one for you. Um, and, and I've known Nora for what, about 10 years now, I think. Yeah. Um, something, right? uh, and so Nora and I met in church. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've watched, you know, how you've changed and grown and recovered over the last 10 years or so. So Nora, would you share a little bit about your story? Um, the big thing is I was diagnosed as bipolar in summer of, see, we're in 23, so 21. Um, I'd never, I had been diagnosed with depression and anxiety back in originally in 92, I think, um, and struggled with that, um, but had never had the bipolar diagnosis until 21. Um, and that explained a lot of things. Yes. I had a similar experience that I had been diagnosed with depression and anxiety over and over. Um, and then when I got that bipolar diagnosis, it, it changed a lot for me. Um, so like in your family of origin and growing up, how was mental health? I mean, back, back in the seventies and eighties, it just wasn't discussed. It just, you know, you had anybody that had bipolar disorder was known as manic depressive. And, you know, you had these highs, you had these lows and they were just those people. And we didn't, it wasn't discussed in society. So it wasn't discussed in the family because it just wasn't. And I didn't have those highs. I didn't have those lows. I just was there. Um, I think going back, I think I've had depression most of my life. Um, I mean, I had a relatively normal childhood. Um, my dad had, did have very high expectations. And if I didn't meet those expectations, I was told I was stupid or dumb or something, but, um, And at that time, those things, it just, it, society has changed and grown. And back at that time, those things were just said and you didn't realize that there was anything wrong with them. Yeah. It's, I think right when, when we don't talk about our mental health and we feel like we have to hide it, there's that shame, right. That comes with it. And then we really feel like we can't talk about it. And if there's something wrong, we hide even more yeah um and so i know that that you ended up in recovery like in in the hospital at one point a couple times um would you share a little bit about like that experience how you got there and how it helped yeah i had severe anger and rage issues severe um a lot of that was learned behavior from my dad um, didn't learn how to properly handle my anger and I escalated into rage. 
And I totaled my car in a fit of rage. My kids were in the car. Uh, luckily, nobody was hurt. But that really opened my eyes to the fact that I needed professional help. And that was in the summer of 2016. That was the that was the first hospitalization um, in August of 2016, and then I went back for another inpatient stay in October of 2016. So that was well before your bipolar diagnosis. Yes. Um, and so how would how did that rage and anger impact your relationships? Oh my God! It, it anytime. I'd raise my voice, whether I was angry or not. Um, I'm one of those people that when I get on a subject, I may be very passionate about it and I get louder. Well, they think I'm yelling, whether I'm yelling or not. And why am I always yelling and why am I always angry? It's like, well, that's not really the case here, but it was being projected onto me that that's all I did. And I'm going to ask this hard question and answer as you feel comfortable. Would you consider that you were verbally or emotionally abusive to your previous partners? Yes. And so how did then going to, well, then let me ask, I know you said that having your kids in the car when you totaled it was part of going to inpatient treatment. Were there any parts of your relationships that, helped get you there and by that I mean like informed that there was big things wrong that needed to be addressed no I think so I think that looking back on it there were a lot of things that were wrong over the years and you know we all had everybody both sides of relationships play into the downfall of the relationship but I was the only one being having the finger pointed at them Um, I could easily say, well, you did this too, or you did this and you did that, but it all ended up landing on my shoulders because I was angry. And so then yet again, you're taught, you can't be yourself. You can't have your own emotions. You can't. Because, Because they would always be escalated into you're angry. And And even maybe more than that, in some ways, like not just you're angry, but like you're not listening, like here you go again, you know, fighting with me instead of talking and working things out. Exactly. And it's, I think it can be easy. And I know you said, and I think every relationship there's like no person is perfect. So we all have ways of impacting a relationship, both positively and negatively but it's a whole lot easier to put the blame on the loud person. Mm -hmm. And I don't just mean like, I mean, in your case, loud, like actually noise wise, but in other cases, it's the one that's the sickest or the one that has the most stuff going on. Um, And so I know that now you've, I know you had two serious like relationships with kids that were in them. Um, how did your rage, mental health get, how has that affected your relationship with your children? 
The oldest one I have no contact with and haven't had contact with him since she was about three and a half years old. Um, the reason being is she was adopted and my ex-partner was the adoptive parent. So when that relationship ended, she deemed I was unsafe and needed no contact with her or the child again. And that ended that right there. Um, so that's been a loss that I've been dealing with for 15 years now. Um, the second one, there were two children involved, again, both adopted. And the uh, ex-partner was the adoptive parent of them. And I had them for a long time. And then there was a huge misunderstanding between me and my ex there uh, for four years ago, I think it was right around four years ago. And she again deemed I was unsafe and I have not seen those children in four years. So one, like what a sense of loss that must be knowing that these kids are not that far away from you, but you right. don't get to hug them and love them and be, be with them the way that you might, not the way you might, the way that you want to be present. Yeah. And I have done, I have done a lot of work on myself and I'm not that same person that I was 15 years ago or even four years ago, but there's no way for me to prove that to the exes because they don't see me on a daily basis. They don't see that, that, that I'm not that person that I was um, they just have the image that I had been in their head and think that I'm still an unsafe person, whether I am or not. And I've done my best to try to not be angry with them because they're doing what they seem best for the children. And would, do you think you were unsafe as a but Parent. At times, at, oh, at times, yes. And so, but now, over, oh, sorry, go at, ahead. Oh, it's okay. I'm sorry. But overall, I would never ultimately do anything to harm the ch the children. And yeah, and then you go back to the, the accident and the fit of anger and that caused harm to the kids. Right. But again, nobody was physically hurt. Um, I mean, that's a hard one that that was the one that really shook me and said, you need professional help. And so it sounds like though, your exes really were doing what they felt was the best for the children at the time. Yes. And that, you know, and this is maybe a whole other conversation, but that does bring up, you know, a little bit of the, when people can't, when people are not able to legally get married and adopt a child together, it ends up with the potential for one parent, the person, the parent that's not the adoptive parent, even though you're living as a family to lose that contact and that relationship. So just throwing that out there, that that's a whole other conversation, but there's harm in not having equal rights for people that yeah. is much deeper than just, not being able to get married and share health insurance with, you know, your partner, because 
you know, it's one of the benefits. It's so much deeper than that. And I just want to make sure that we talk about that. So now when you and Trina, like, you know, first met, I know that it was a bit in recovery, uh, but how has your mental health impacted your relationship with Trina, even though you had already done a lot of healing? Um, when we first met, I, well, I have been part of Celebrate Recovery since 2013. Um, with COVID and not meeting in person, I kind of fell off of that. So in the last three years, I haven't been in, been attending meetings or anything like that. Um, because trying to find an in an in-person meeting that allows me to be me and not put the homosexuality is also a sin that you need to recover from, um, trying to find a group in person that I can be myself in is, hasn't been easy. Um, but anyway, that's when she and I met, I'd been part of celebrate recovery for quite a while. And one of the bonding things we had was she was in celebrate recovery, working on her own issues. So we kind of had that bond over that. And I had been through, um, a step study, which is where you work on the 12 steps, a very in-depth study where you spend a lot of time working through those 12 steps. I'd completed that step study. She was in the process of doing a step study. So I was kind of able to guide her in how um, that's those, those steps worked and exactly what they were looking for as far as um details and how deep you need to go to to do your step study um so i kind of helped guide her a little bit on where she was in her journey with recovery so and what a great like thing that you all both have that shared experience and that you were able to guide her and in that like helping her did that help your recovery even more it did because I was also in a leadership position at the time and had, had learned how to help guide people. So being able to help somebody that wasn't part of my group that I knew so well, it, it, it helped me to know that, Hey, I do have the guidance that can help somebody else and not just these people that I know real well. There's somebody I don't know that's listening to, to my, my journey yeah. And I could help her on hers. And, and so it, it was a, I'm an expert and I, I am needed and valuable. Yeah. And growing up, did you have that sense that you were valuable just the way you are? Not really. And so there, there was that bit of healing too, then I guess with that valuable and worthy of, of love unconditionally. Yes. Um, I want to like back up a little, I know that, you know, when, um, we have any sort of illness that requires us to be gone from work for a period of time, it can impact that even when it's, you know, covered by the FMLA and it's a disability sort of situation, but in other ways, in addition to not being there, how has your, mental illness and mental health been impacted by or impacted your work life? 
Um, the first, this, back in 2016, I was working for a large insurance company. Um, and my supervisor at the time, I, I was very open with her and knew, told her what was going on. And I ended up being out of work for four months and was on short-term disability. And I knew I had the job to come back to, and there was no issues with that at all. Um, just when I came back, I came back and jumped back in. Um, then in 2021, um, when I was out, I was out for five months. And again, um, I just took the five months off working for a different company now um, and on short-term disability, I had the job to come back to. And my role changed a little bit when I came back um, and has continued to change off and on since then. I'm not doing quite as much as I was doing in the same, I'm still, I'm doing a lot different a lot of different things now than I was doing before, but um, I was welcomed back without an issue. And I think that like the fact that it's, it's being treated as if you had a physical illness as well mm -hmm. is really important. I think for people to note is that mental illness is illness. Like our mental got health is health. In 21, I was also diagnosed with two major physical illnesses as well. Would so, you, would you talk a little bit about that as well? Yes. If you're, if you're willing to. January of 21, I had a headache for about 10 days that we couldn't get rid of. So they did a head and neck MRI and it came back fine. So they started doing more blood work and a couple of things came back that they were very alarmed about and they did more blood work. Fast forward a couple months and I've been diagnosed with lupus. Um, and then a few months later, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And that came right about the same time that the bipolar diagnosis came in. Um, and along with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, I also have Sjogren's syndrome. So I've got... And then I've got Hashimoto's disease. So I've got four autoimmune disorders I, on top of the mental health disorders. I, and and I, I was laughing a little bit because it's just, it almost sounds like your body is just fighting you. It is. In so many ways. Because the autoimmune diseases, it's, it's, I mean, it's your own body attacking its healthy cells on top of everything. And then I have my brain not working the way it's supposed to be working. And so all these physical illnesses along with the mental illnesses it's a lot to handle so when I was every time I got a diagnosis I went to Trina and I said here's your out if you want it take it I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be upset with you I'm not gonna you know here's your out this is what we're dealing with and she didn't take it and the next next diagnosis here's your out if you want it take it I'm not gonna hold it against you and she's still here. And so you like all of this happened in, in 21, these big diagnoses, right? You've got the, the rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and bipolar all within a few months of each yes. other. So 
How far into your relationship with Trina were you when when those came up? Oh, about, let's see, the lupus diagnosis, we were about four months in. And Brand new relationship. The rheumatoid arthritis and bipolar disorder about six months in. And were you all married? No. Yeah. So nope. she really, I mean. She could have taken nothing. that out and been, you know, no harm, no foul. You know, just see you later. I'm, I'm out. And how different was her staying and, and being present with you and walking that with you? How different was that than relationships previously? Um, she was, I mean, she was there. She was physically and mentally there. She wasn't just thinking it was just my thing to deal with. It was our thing to deal with. Um. And it wasn't you're doing this and you're doing that or you're not doing this or you're not doing that. It was a how are things going with treatment? Because also during that time with the bipolar diagnosis is when I was out for five months. During that time, I was in a PHP partial hospitalization program and, and intensive outpatient program between going bouncing back and forth between PHP and IOP for five months, trying to get never an inpatient stay because I wasn't suicidal, actively suicidal. So there, and there weren't any beds. So um, I didn't have any inpatient stay at that time. Um, but she was there and didn't leave and was supportive and active in the treatment. And um that was that was different for somebody to stick around and not point fingers and say you're the one who's got the problem and then knowing that there were all the you know diagnoses issues problems whatever we want to call them after all of that she's still married you right and made that permanent or yeah. And she said that that it wasn't an option to divorce, but she she said, I love you and not your illnesses. And I want to be here with you forever. Um, what a different like way to show up for somebody. It's like, I know that there are all these things and I could have walked away, but I love you so much that I want to be here long term. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I asked Trina the similar question is there a fear that there's a divorce coming or that she's going to leave because of all of this and it's going to get too much i mean we've we've said that divorce is not an option and we'll work through anything but in the back of my mind sometimes it's like well what next is this next one going to be the one that pushes her over the edge um but we both have a habit of reminding each other, hey, hold on, wait a minute. This isn't what we signed up for. We signed up to stick this out together. And so that's what you're doing is sticking it out together, even when it gets hard. Even when it's hard. I mean, I'm on I'm on medication for lupus. I'm on medication for rheumatoid arthritis. I'm on five different psych meds. 
it's constantly changing. It's constantly trial and error. It's all this, the medication itself is daunting to have to, you know, keep up with all of it, but I do keep up with all of it. I'm very med compliant. I don't just skip my meds when I'm feeling good that day. I don't, um, I don't skip my meds. I'm very, very diligent about keeping that up. And, and I, I want to like woohoo you on that because two things, one, like it's so easy to be like, oh, I feel better. So like, I don't need my antidepressant or mood stabilizer or whatever anymore. I'm fine. And also, um, and then you're not fine. Right. And then it can devolve and then it takes forever to mm-hmm. get it back together. And the same can be true with pain. And I'm going to make an assumption that the rheumatoid arthritis, there's some pain that comes with that. Oh yeah. Um, and, and pain is not dissimilar that it's much easier to keep that pain under control than it is to get it back under control after it's out of control. Right. That's been my experience and experience, you know, when I've dealt with other people with chronic pain. Um, so yeah, like, it sounds like you are also a lot like what I, you know, heard from Trina, that you're both taking care of yourselves and supporting each other as self-care, um, you know, for each of you and together. Uh, is there anything else before, you know, we end this and then we're going to have Trina come back, uh, and y'all talk together. Is there anything else that, that you'd want people to know about your story or before you end, we end? Um, don't give up. I mean, it's all easy. It's easy to say you give up. And there's times where I say, I just give up. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. But it's usually situational when I say that and not overall. Um, it's easier to say than it, than it is to do, but try to take one day at a time. And I'm not good at that because um, I'm just not. And I have to try to remember that whether I do it or whether I practice it or not, try to practice it. And um, it's, it's hard to, to, to do sometimes, but try it. And, and that's the thing is like, just, and I know that, that recovery is often a do the next right thing. Like it's one decision at a time. It's one, you know, you just have to do this one thing for one minute and then do it for another minute and then another minute. And so when I, sometimes when you think about, can I do that for one minute? Yeah, I can do that for one minute. And then all of a sudden that one minute has turned into years. Yeah. But it's a slow process sometimes and it can feel overwhelming. It Um, is. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and and being transparent with all of the things and how, you know, this has, both your physical and mental health has impacted your relationships and, and this one and what it's been like to be loved by someone in a different way than you have in the past. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And so with that, we have reached the end of this episode. Thank you for listening and learning more about how mental health and society meet. 
Now go out and open a conversation and discover how mental health is experienced in your world. You can find more episodes of the Mental Society in all the places you find your favorite podcast. And please subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. You can find additional resources at our website, uh, thementalsociety.com. And remember that you are not alone in your struggles. Hope and help are all around you. And until next time, this is Amanda Dolan wishing you good health, mental and otherwise.